I should get on that Kotaku podcast. Yeah, why not? We would love to have anybody from y'all on talking about old video game shit. Like, you would definitely give something Fahey to talk about. Yeah. Since me and Nathan are children. I used to make fun of Fahey all the time, so uh, we'll see if he he probably doesn't remember that. <laughs> he was one of the many people that would um, steal insert credit stories back in the day. Ouch. And just, like, rewrite them and not credit me. So that's why I was uh, I had some beef with Kotaku back in the days, but they uh, they won. So I have to admit <laughs> that it's all over. Set adrift to the timeless pleasures of tubular bells. This is episode 193 of the Insert Credit Initiative, a public service to provide one hour of stimulating conversation on the topic of video games. Every week, we assemble a panel of video game experts, rigorously drilled to address a series of topics in no more than six minutes each, or suffer the prompting of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and the best video game birthday party I didn't get to go to uh, was when Daniel Redlich in seventh grade got his parents to rent out a movie theater to play Halo. Whoa, I'm Brandon Sheffield. I don't know. Have I been invited to a video game birthday party? Um, I wasn't invited to this one. I heard yeah. about it afterwards and got really mad. Oh, jeez. Okay, let me see if I can think of the best video game birthday party I wasn't invited to. Wait, but yeah, okay. The best video game per- birthday party I wasn't invited to was uh, Sonic's 30th birthday party. Not so last week. It wasn't that. It was Sonic's, like, maybe it was his 28th birthday party. It was at E3. And you know that band that made you cry, Ash? Crush 40. Crush 40. The Sonic Adventure stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they were pl- they were there playing, and uh, I wasn't invited, and I had to work extremely hard to get in there, but I did get to go. So that's why it was it was the best. And there was a guy who is the like the director of communication for Nintendo at the time. He was there like singing along with all the lyrics, and the Sonic shoes had just come out, the special edition Sonic Sonic shoes, and he had bought both of them and was wearing one of each on different feet. That guy fucked. I didn't know you were allowed to sing along with Sonic if you work for Nintendo. It was the first I was learning about it, so I guess that was the best one. I'm Ash Parrish. Um, I'm filling in for Frank this week. Uh, I've been told he's on some super secret clandestine video game uh, history mission, so I will be his replacement. The best video game birthday party that I was never invited to. See, you have to understand, I am a black girl, so I was not invited to any of them ever. So all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Yeah. We have another guest on the show this week. Uh, Our guest is the designer of A Slow Year and Cow Clicker, author of How to Talk about video games and racing the beam the atari video computer system and like 10 other books about video games and professor of interactive computing at the georgia institute of technology ian bogost is here i'm here thanks so much for having me i didn't realize i still had this memory so i'm i'm appreciative and distraught uh, that it's been <laughs> uh, re- retrieved uh, but out in the, you remember Chuck E. Cheese's? Um, of course. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, but there were, a, you know, a number of uh, lower tier uh, pizza and video game and animatronic show provisioners in the 80s. And in the West, there were a couple of them. There was one called Peter Piper Pizza, and there was a competitor to Peter Piper called Pistol Pete's Pizza. Oh. It was kind of a Wild West thing. P-P-P. Pistol Pete's was my local. We had Chuck E. Cheese too, but Pistol Pete's was, for some reason, uh, better attended. It was, you know. Um, less corporatized, if you will. Anyhow, uh, I remember, I don't know who it was anymore, but I remember going to Pistol Pete's just with my family, and there was taking place at Pistol Pete's Pizza, which had an arcade and everything, a a birthday party that I hadn't been invited to. Some some of my classmates were having a birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. I'm so sorry. And, you know, it's like you just sort of want to say, hey, like, can we just go, actually? But, of course, you know, you, you can't. Your parents are like, no, we came to, we wanted to come to Pistol Pete's. Here we are. We're doing it. So I had to sit through the kind of awkward, like, you know, you don't really want to look at them. So, anyway, thank you for retrieving the memory yeah. from uh, its suppressed status inside my brain. I feel like your parents were, were doing that as like a, like you weren't invited, but they knew about it. So they took you there so you could be near the party so you wouldn't feel too left out. Yeah, no, that's a great conspiracy theory about my parents. Um, <laughs> if they were more dialed in, I think that would have been possible. And I, I certainly am willing to believe that though. Here's a joke from maybe three of our listeners. Now that's what I call a rock-a-fire explosion. 
Oh yeah, there you go, rock play. <laughs> I also want to point out that I am currently drinking water from a Showbiz Pizza Palace mug. So that's a, another yeah. off-brand Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. yeah. So I've never been to one. Oh, you haven't? Yeah. No. Showbiz was better, I think, than, than Chuck E. Cheese. I just found it somewhere, and now I have it in my house. Low rent Chuck E. Cheese from the Midwest. Um, I don't know if all of you are from the East Coast or West Coast, but it was Celebration Station. Uh, that was our place. I've never even heard uh, of that yeah, one. I've heard of that one. That could be anything too. What was their animatronic band like? Just as terrifying. I don't know <laughs> how, as a species, we all conceptualized to do that, but that was never a good idea. Yeah, it just kind of popped up in the collective subconscious one day. Ian, I went through the rules of the show with you before we began, but one thing I didn't tell you is that every episode of this show has a winner. I keep meticulous score through a uh, Byzantine rubric, which uh, measures how well each of you do throughout the episode. And at the end, I declare a winner for who did the best. And the reward for winning is that they get to choose a topic for next week's episode. Oh, okay. Last winner was Liz Ryerson, who won episode 191. Liz asks... What's your favorite ROM hack that features original content and not just a game translation? Oh, that's an interesting one. I, I wish I were better versed in ROM hacks. I've always wanted to be. But I there is this one that's called like Evil Sonic or something. Mm. It's basically Sonic, except Sonic has like blood coming out and all the water is blood instead of <laughs> water. And it's just like creepy and weird. That one rules. I don't remember what it's called, though. Someone's going to get mad at me for not knowing what that's called. But yeah, that's one. I like watching people do ROM hacks, like for like speedruns and like well, challenge or whatever. Um, I think maybe a couple GDQs ago, there was like the Grand Pooh World uh, ROM oh, yeah. hack that they did. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, I like it when they do narrative and they like base it around a streamer. And Grand Pooh Bear, from what I understand, is like a pretty wholesome dude. So it was really like emotional and fun watching him like do a ROM hack that was made for him by like one of his friends. It was nice. Toby Fox got his start doing ROM hacks. He did a uh, Halloween ROM hack of Mother 2, uh, which is basically his first glimmer of internet fame and how he got to be part of uh, Homestuck and that became Undertale. And that's just kind of been his whole journey starting from the ROM hack scene. Yeah, I guess that's right. Most Most of the ROM hacks that I've looked at are like just things that make stuff better. Um, mm. like yeah. 60 FPS improvements, like all those ones that have been happening on the Super Nintendo lately where they're using the uh, Yoshi's Island or whatever chip to make games like, uh, I don't know, uh, hard driving or whatever work better oh, man. on yeah. Super Nintendo. Yeah, uh, Those are really cool, but they don't they don't fit the question. So I guess I not, lose. Not quite. Yeah. You need to know what a ROM, when does a ROM hack become just a new game? Yeah. <laughs> like there was a, very famous I'm a atari guy so all of my examples are atari um sure that's not, that's not true but you know the one of the most famous i don't know if it's exactly a rom hack but atari rom hack you know old pac-man todd fry made pac-man for, for the atari was terrible um there's a whole story behind it some of which we tell in the racing the beam book it was terrible and mostly just didn't look like pac-man and and much later this guy i don't remember his name made a just a gorgeous implementation of of pac-man for uh, for the atari and he's one of those things where all, everybody in the forums is like, why couldn't they just have done this, you know, in 1982? And there's lots of reasons why that wasn't, why that wasn't possible or, or feasible at the time. Um, but that's not really a ROM hack, exactly, even though it takes materials. Um, Isn't the entirety of the Atari 2600 basically a ROM hack of Pong? <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's such a mess to, to make games for it. But one of the first things that, you know, new programmers for the Atari do, I've done this in my, in my classes, is ROM hacks is easy. And because the source code is just the, the disassembly uh, of the game. So you can usually find, you know, like a sprite or something and change. The, that's, that's what most people do. They'll change a graphic, you know. So, you know, instead of, instead of Pac-Man, it's a little truck or, or whatever it is, whatever you choose to do. I'm sure I have tons of examples of them, but I, I, don't, remember, um, I don't remember most of them off the, off the top of my head. But what, what, the question had like a, a codicil or something. It was like the, a ROM hack that, and then I don't remember the rest of it. Oh, a ROM hack that isn't just like game translation. I guess if if we're talking not just game translation, then John Burton's director's cut of Sonic 3D Blast would count because it's him. Do I mean, or is it really? No, actually, it's not a ROM hack because he had the source code. So never mind. But um, he improved his own game like 20 years later. Yeah, like I was trying to. Um, I I suspect you were in that thread that I was on on Twitter with Heather Alexandra. And I found him and I'm like, this is fascinating. I want to talk to him. So I'm like trying to muster the courage to add him directly on Twitter to see if he wants to talk to me about that. Oh, you should. It's uh, he's fascinating. 
he's he's always going back and being like, look at this weird thing I did on the Saturn. Yeah, if he spent 20 years working on this thing, odds are he wants to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> There are there are two really famous uh, NES ROM hacks uh, by Cory Archangel, by the, the artist Cory Archangel, that I still think really hold up. And the better known one is called Super Mario Clouds. And yeah. it's just um, it's Super Mario Brothers with everything removed except the sky and the clouds. And it just turns it into sort of a video installation. Mm. And it's so, so simple. And you can get it immediately and you recognize it. But it's running on the hardware, you know, when you see it at the, at the installation. And that's really beautiful. And another one that the Cory Archangel did was um, a Hogan's Alley ROM hack called I Shot Andy Warhol. And um, it's just, it was one of those light gun games, except mm-hmm. that Andy Warhol pops up sometimes. Like the dog from Deck Hunt? Yeah, except yeah, it was sim- similar to that game. But the, it, this was the one where there were like shooting ranges and stuff. And there were you know, oh, right. tin cans right. that you'd shoot at. It was one of the one of the other light gun games. But I've watched a lot of people play those who don't know anything about games. who saw them in an art installation uh, context and um, we're like able to comprehend them, you know, able to just they were legible as games, as ROM hacks, as art, and I think that was really a really interesting way to, to kind of to kind of toe those lines. Question two: Which elements of a video game tend to be overlooked in assessment by most critics? Hair, the graphics, <laughs> specifically the hair graphics. Yes, actually, very much so. I remember looking at Horizon Zero Dawn, not big fan of that game i have no problem with it but it's just i i don't fawn over it the way most people fawn over it um and i remember watching a let's play of this game and looking because everybody it's like this you know cyberpunk future but like low grade and you know whatever so it's like bows and arrows and people are in furs and have dreadlocks but it's all like you know but it's got like techno beats or whatever and so of course like the white girl hero has dreadlocks uh and i'm looking at her hair and i'm like there's something wrong about the way that this looks like that's not how hair textures work. I used to have, I used to have dreadlocks and I'm looking at Aloy's hair and I'm looking at other black people who have dreadlocks in that game. And it's like, they took straight hair and they just bundled it to like, they wrapped it around like together and they just bundled it, but it's still straight hair. And I'm like, it just, it, it, it like stuck out like some kind of, I don't know, uncanny Valley of hair. And I'm like, I appreciate what they're doing here, but this is not how hair texture works. And it just bothered the hell out of me. So I can understand wanting to maybe do something a little different than just have like straight free flowing hair all over the place, like Mia and like uh, Resident Evil 7, which was a little weird on the other end of the spectrum. But it's just like, mm, no, that's not how that works. I'm having a, a bad time imagining the uncanny valley of hair. That happens a lot. <laughs> I don't I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, I mean like a physical place. That's uh, <laughs> really it's really not where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah reaches out. That's a game right there. There's a, you just designed the the bad hair game. Yeah, I've got I've got a a future in weird art games. I, I make Horizon Zero Dawn, but it's just hair valleys. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. It's the hair rising Zero Dawn. Yeah, that's right. Ah. Uh, but yeah, people do tend to overlook hair effects because is it like a technical thing across the board that we just haven't really cracked yet? I'm thinking that it's a bit of column A, column B. There will be times, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. There will be times that a video game will try to model hair that's not just for like a white person with straight hair, but they didn't think about physics or they didn't take the time to actually look at hair texture. So it, it happens like what happens is Horizon Zero Dawn. It's just straight hair arranged in this way that makes it look like it's, you know, supposed to belong to a person of color or lucio from overwatch for example he's got those big dreadlocks that stick out the back of his head but dreadlocks don't work that way they just don't they're they're too big it it, it just there are you know people that have dreadlocks that are super big like the rastafarians and things like that but i look at his hair and i don't think dreadlocks i think he has some like piece of like helmet on his head like you know how dead mouse is like that's part of his persona like all of his hair is like straight flat cornrow to the back of his head and he plops on this like big not a hair piece but some kind of piece of helmet or whatever that's like part of his costume that makes it look like that he has this like weird like it, it looks like his hair is made of foam because it doesn't look like hair to me like right. it, this doesn't read his hair to me so that's that's what i think of like just the technology probably isn't there it is getting better i think um yeah what was the most recent game that i saw that I was like oh no this is actually really good i can't think of it but it was really good i'm like oh okay we're getting better miles morales yeah yeah that's true we've only just gotten beyond like hair helmets basically mm-hmm. um in the 360 era, it was all like the bald space marine. Yeah, bald space marines and stuff. And and if it was a woman, you'd have to like put a helmet on her because <laughs> you didn't want to have 
anything flowing around or whatever. It's kind of interesting, though, because like, I, I don't know if this is uh, apocryphal or not, but I remember back when Monsters, Inc. was being made, which was like a, a long time ago, right? Like almost 20 years ago. And um, oh, God. the whole... Just yeah, that's. I think that's right. Um, I, think, I think it is. Two thousand one movie. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The whole conceit. And you know, it's, it's obviously it's, it's it's not real time rendered. It's but it's but it is CG. But, you know, but one of the conceits of that of that film was the fur. You know, like it started yeah. with the kind of fur physics, and then like oh, how do you build a very Pixar style? Like how do you how do you build a movie around a technical concept like like fur physics? And games haven't. It doesn't seem like they've worked that way, right? Where you, you know, you, you, in in some cases, you do get a kind of tech demo, and then you get an ex a set of experimentations around it but not to not to that degree or that quality but it was so long ago that we had uh, really persuasive you know it's fur is not hair obviously you know so it's easier to fictionalize on, on monsters and even you know today 20 years ahead we're, we're still talking about like the promise of next-gen graphics yeah and finally we'll be able to do hair i feel like id kind of did that with their mega textures they were like okay we've, we've found this way to make really really big long textures now what game do we make around it and, and then they made rage and that wasn't really the right way to go sure yeah yeah and you're dealing with genre problems in in, in games that maybe don't exist in, in film i think that something that's critically overlooked in games is i think good writing is very yeah <laughs> it's very underappreciated and it's very uh you know it's there's not very much of it and there's a low bar set for it mm. it's a really low bar and that's how Brandon is able to get away with being a game writer. That's right. <laughs> Kaboom. Question three. What video games have changed the most in capitulation to agent content rating? Ooh, like hot coffee style. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I know that like for Indivisible, which I worked on, hmm. um, we wound up preemptively like making sure that there weren't skeletons so that it could be showed in China. I still don't know if it's true that you can't show skeletons in games in China. Like, I've heard that that's a rumor. I've also heard that it's 100% true. How do they play Blanca in Street Fighter? Yeah, I don't know. We also did, like, this was a personal challenge that I was already undertaking, but there's no swears in Indivisible. Yeah. There's a dam, I think, in there. Uh, maybe. But... Otherwise, everyone's saying heck and dang and stuff, which I think is personally funny. But um, we did that preemptively. And we did a, lot, a whole bunch of other stuff like that in service of getting particular age rating and a particular... Man, there's one particular... There's one story that I shouldn't get into. But there was one thing that had to get changed because it was... This is a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo-backed game. And one of the high-tier people put in some text and visuals that were not appropriate for any age and it God. somehow did not get noticed and went through to the very end when people found it and then they were like oh i can't believe they got away with this and then it turned out we didn't we, <laughs> we had to we had to basically we had to either patch the game or change the rating of the game Whoops. so we passed it yep it's interesting that um at least in the esrv's um content guidelines gambling is is one of the factors you know they, mm -hmm. they and and they, they like distinguish between real gambling and simulated you know gambling which is sort of interesting in these contexts like you know did, in, in what way does uh you know do loot boxes and other microtransactions you know kind of plus that real gambling is it gambling at, at all and this is go, this goes back decades this concern about uh, partial reinforcement techniques and and um financial uh, manipulation First, it was coin drop in arcade games, and then later it was like Pokemon, you know, cards and, and that kind of thing. But all of that stuff is still present. Uh, and so, the, you know, the, the content focus of ratings hasn't really touched the, the question of, um, you, we can call it gambling, call it microtransactions, you can call it whatever you want. We will be touching on that later in the episode, actually. It's kind of the opposite answer yeah. to, to, the, to the question, which is that this, this is one of the ways that, that all it manner of content is supposed to right, 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 and sort of snuck around it. I remember another one, actually, which is, and I can't remember whether this was changed for like a remaster to meet requirements or if it was for Asia or something. But that American McGee's Alice game, American McGee is now some weird alt-right role. But um, he uh, made that Alice game and it has playing cards in it because it's Alice in Wonderland. And he had to change them all to not have the card faces on them because it was being perceived as a gambling reference or uh, advocating for for gambling like you can use playing cards for stuff other than gambling but it, that had to be changed apparently ash didn't you do something recently where uh you uh wrote about pole dancing in final fantasy 7 yes that was an idea that one of the 
developers on Final Fantasy VII Remake, they had for the Honeybee Inn sequence, they wanted to, you know, make it this like burlesque kind of show, but then they had brought in, they had an idea, I guess one of the concepts was pole dancing, and they went so far as to have like, from what I understand from the interview, like people come in and mocap the scenes, but they were like, eh, maybe we shouldn't do this, which, you know, I get it. Final Fantasy VII Remake in that particular context versus what it was versus what it is was a big step. So I mm-hmm. appreciate that they didn't like go maybe too far with that, even though I would have loved to have seen, you know, Cloud drop it from the ceiling. Yeah. Another thing that I was thinking of is that we as a culture of games makers are getting a lot better about potential like trigger warnings and stuff like that in and not this like kind of like tongue in cheek kind of like mocking kind of way. Because I'm thinking of um Doki Doki Literature Club Plus and all the changes that um they're doing when they're re-releasing this game about you know making sure people have adequate amount of ways to you know be warned about what's happening in the story like both before you start the game and in the middle of it and all the settings that you can turn and being cognizant of like even the little things like uh arachnophobia mode for what is it grounded yeah where you you know there's no spiders they just like these big blobs i'm like that's really nice i wish more games would do that i I would love a trypophobia mode honestly that would help me a lot i'm also thinking of chicory where um they have an option because you're painting and you can turn off the paint sounds because that that mouth sound might be oh yeah because of me that is directly because of me seriously 100 percent. it's a video of chicory early on and i was like just so you know People like me cannot play this game at all because of the the wet sounds. And they did some research and then they were like, you're right. OK, we'll give the option to turn that off. And so that's what happened. Excellent work. So I think in conclusion, uh, censorship can be good. Uh, I love it. Apart from the Bonk series, what would you put on the ultimate platforming game collection for the Turbo Graphics? <laughs> all right, I'll get back to you guys in the next question. <laughs> Bye, Ash. This- yeah. This is this is uh Ian. This is our opportunity to talk about Keith's courage. Yeah, it's our, it's our chance. Uh, apart <laughs> from the Bonk series, is a really difficult phrase to contend with because it takes so many things off the table. Yeah. I mean, you have to put you have to put Keith Courage in there, right? Right. Keith Courage is is a really undervalued. I think it is a difficult platformer, but it is a an understandable platformer, and it's a the weird like cute side dark side thing that it's got going on i don't know it made a real big impression on me it was the first turbo graphics game that i ever saw i was like look how big these graphics are yeah uh, yeah so that's a that's a candidate um jackie chan's action kung fu that wants to get in there do um, you think that a link that's... to the past stole the uh light world dark world concept from keith courage oh probably I don't know if the time frame works works out. I don't think so. I mean, I I think d- does Legendary Axe qualify? Yeah, Is that a it totally I think, does. I think that would, yeah, we we've been talking that, about that game a lot on the show recently for various reasons. But Legendary Axe, Legendary Axe also has amazing music. It makes really good use of all available sound channels to do kind of like a choral doubling of the yeah. main melody a lot of the time, and it it just. I'm, I don't know why other games didn't do that because it sounds so good. Yeah, these yeah, games were weird. It was, a, it, was a weird, it was a weird system, especially in, in the States because there were so many imports. Yeah. And they, they never really gave us any context for it and we didn't have the internet. So you just kind of had to, like, you, you know, you, you walked into a Sears or something and there was Keith Courage and you had to just make sense of it somehow. Yeah. Which maybe I, maybe I never did, uh, actually. But th- th- that kind of just bananas incomprehensibility of, of games of this era, something I, not just on the Turbo Graphics, something that I, um, I lament. So, so Bonk was very comprehensible, and maybe that's a good reason to, to exclude it. You knew exactly what was happening, and you had a little caveman, cute caveman that ate the meat. And... Also, we've talked enough about Bonk on this show. Yeah. 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 N- enough. Enough with Bonk. Uh, Crossweber. Yeah. Oh wait, that's wait. You said Turbo Graphics, so I can't put yeah. PC Engine games on there. No, we're keeping it system exclusive. Well, no, I mean, you. You. Does it have to be the U.S. or can it be Japan also? Ah, uh, you can do Japan. Okay, then I'm gonna put Crosswiper because that is a scrolling beat 'em up platformer where you turn into various Sentai warriors and feels like a licensed game, but it isn't. But it and it has really good sunsets in it. So that's that's a good one. It's amazing how much of phenomenological experience of games of this period and before it was about sunsets. Oh yeah. How many games are just about looking at the sunsets, you know, the 
the the parallax sunsets 100 uh there's a game called p47 on the pc engine which is you know it's a fine serviceable icom side-scrolling shooter but stage two i think has just one of the best sunsets i've ever seen in a video game does ninja spirit count as a platformer side-scrolling ninja action game if ninja gaiden counts then ninja spirit counts but i don't know if ninja gaiden counts. this is uh, out of scope because it's not a at least to my knowledge not a not a turbo graphics game but anytime i think about keith courage i also think about rygar uh, mm-hmm. the the tecmo game is earlier than uh than 16-bit and they had that same like i don't know what's happening and it was it was very unforgiving uh, but also uh, b- basically senseless and and yet it was also totally fine yeah uh Rygar is not on the pc engine but it is sort of in the lineage for for whatever reason of legendary act it feels like it. Uh, yeah yeah that's right that's right because the the director of Rygar went on to make the astyanax arcade game which then the mechanics from that came over into legendary acts with the same guy so it's okay uh, so in summary what's on the collection oh keith courage crosswiper jackie chan's action kung fu uh <laughs> one more uh one more i said ninja spirit but i'm not 100 percent sure. oh well, yeah, bravo yeah. man i think we got a collection here bravo man is so weird. yeah this would be the turbo graphics platformer collection two because i imagine one would just be the bonk game that's right so uh 2010's cow clicker was mm. a sort of playable satire of its prevalent contemporary social network games it's been a long time since that scene even existed Mm-hmm. So how can we even explain it to listeners who might not have been around social media at the time? Such a, such a good point. It's, it's almost impossible. You, you know, there was, a, there was a nice kind of wired article that, that summarized things. And, and this is actually why history is sometimes more important than archival. Like, you know, just kind of reading about something that happened in the past in the narrative context of how it happened in the past is maybe, is maybe best. But, but yeah, if you, if you can imagine a time when people use Facebook for, for playing these terrible social media games like like Farmville and then that being an anxiety that, that people had in the same way that have they have like an anxiety about Dogecoin or whatever today and um you hit the right moment in giving people an outlet for I think that's the way to think about it is like is like what are what are some contemporary curiosities whether in games or in or in technology or in culture I think right now it's gotcha mechanics mm-hmm. um, yeah. the gambling that we were talking about earlier yeah yeah, yeah maybe it's how clicker is an interesting one because and and I think this is also important to the discussion. It was making fun of something that was happening at the time that is a little difficult to describe now, but it was like these time waster games that were somewhat predatory or, or very predatory in their monetization and time stealing tactics and, and whatever. They would also, I guess, steal your information and stuff, which... Yeah, that turned out to become an issue. Cow Clicker didn't do. But... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the important thing about this one was that it was supposed to be making fun of it and lampooning it and be deliberately not fun. But people were act actively engaging with it and playing it and doing it anyway. Like people were. Yeah. People are weird. Not yeah. not like millions of people, but people were enjoying it as a video game. It's some people without even realizing what the joke was. Yeah. I think that was pretty disturbing. Well, and then then we got like <laughs> we got the whole genre of of idle games or clicker games or incremental games or whatever you want to call them you know not necessarily you know kind of directly born by by cow clicker but i think without cow clicker that wouldn't have happened or at least it wouldn't have happened yeah in in the same way and those games are extremely popular you know very 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 uh successful uh as or like earnestly as normal games and i think you know the vast majority of people who play that that style of game uh wouldn't be wouldn't have any familiarity with cow clicker as a, a part of the origin story of that genre it's pretty bizarre i was thinking about other games like that recently where there was a game on the xbox live indie games marketplace which first of all you'd have to explain what that is for those who, <laughs> are, who are not aware the xbox live indie games marketplace the x blake was on the xbox 360 you could submit xna games without having to go through a publisher so it was like an indie self-publishing thing before that was kind of normal and possible to do and for like two or three months the xbox 360 interface instead of showing games was showing like images of hip people doing cool stuff and there was a a lady doing a jump kick and that kept showing up in this rotation of like things that you couldn't actually interact with but it was it was a piece of ui that then the uh, developer of shoot one up and one of the serious sam indie game things 
he wound up making an Xbox Live indie game called Parkour, which was just clipped out that lady from that <laughs> UI interface and made a game surrounding her. And it got a bunch of press because that was a thing that people were talking about for those three months. But then, you know, they updated the interface. The game completely lost any of its meaning, ironic yeah. right. meaning. And it's just yeah. like, what, what is that now? Like, yeah. what that, is that, that process game? happens much faster today, too, you know, yeah. with everything. And so, so, you know, having a window in which not only something is stable enough that it can it can go here, but then you have time to make uh, a, a piece that reacts or responds or ironizes it or whatever. And then that you have like a window for, for players to react right. to it and, and embrace it. It's almost unthink- like that's, you know, that's a long time. Uh, and, and things happen so, so quickly now, or, or they change. Maybe that's another thing to bring up here is that, you know, Facebook literally changes every week. And, you know, if you go back however many weeks it is to get to 2010, it was still Facebook. It was fundamentally the same kind of service. But the way that it operated, the kind of people who used it, the alternatives that were available, it was totally different. And everybody mm-hmm. was was on Facebook yeah. at that at that time. I'll say uh, during the first wave of the Insert Credit podcast, most of our social media engagement was on Facebook. And now I don't think any of us have a Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so we have kind <laughs> of reached the point where, yeah, trying to explain CalClicker is, is difficult because the, the, you know, if you bring up Facebook, now it has a totally different meaning. Yeah, uh, than it did in that era. I mean, I guess this is what it's like to get old because there are <laughs> things that remain relevant in my mind, which I have to spend like thirty minutes explaining. If I, if I want, <laughs> yeah, thirty minutes is an exaggeration, but like there are things where where I'm like, oh man, remember the tap wave zodiac, which is a very flash in the fa- in the pan, very brief PDA cross handheld game system thing, and like I'd have to explain what a PDA is. I'd have to explain that <laughs> smartphones didn't exist yet and, you know, try talking about the end gauge, you know, it's just like, right. But the thing is, these aren't important. <laughs> yeah. They are in there. I think end gauge jokes will be relevant forever. They better be. But uh, we'll be right back after a very quick break. P47 sunset. It looks better nice. in motion. And uh, the reason is that you see uh, underneath the sun how it's like the clouds are brighter. Mm. Like the parallax scrolling scrolls past the sun and, and, and those areas remain ah. lit. Uh, it, it's really good. So if you if you uh, check check a video of P47 on the PC Engine stage two, you can check it out. Uh, maybe uh, Esper could get uh, some footage of that for the YouTube video this week. I don't think uh, we'll get into any trouble for putting PC Engine footage in our YouTube channel. Knowing your luck, you'll get the one patent troll who will be like, yeah, I worked on this. Welcome back to Insert Credit. Well, I'm checking the schedule here, and it seems we're long overdue for a return to Violence Island. it was the improv zone <laughs> no uh slightly slightly better than the improv zone uh in this segment we set up an eight character tournament bracket deciding who would win in a fight between each competitor until we're left with one winner this week each of the preliminary matches has been selected from submissions by our listeners on forums.insertcredit.com where the parties always going on our first battle is between a single serve bot Versus a single lemming. Okay. Uh, Servebot is in Mega Man Legends. Correct. Right? The little Lego looking dude. Yeah, they look like Legos. They look just like Legos. Well, lemmings... What's squishier? Lemmings are lemmings. Yeah, it's a single lemming. The lemming is just, they're just going to do it. You know, a lemming, there's no there's no arguing that's true. Uh, with the lemming. But the surfbot is a robot. I feel like that's stronger than a lemming, kind of no matter what. Unless this lemming is like Monty Python's level of like aggro. Are, we assume they're the same size. Um, How big is a lemming compared to a surfbot? I think it's, I assume mm. a surfbot is bigger, but... Surfbots were tiny in those games, though. Yeah, I would say they're about the same size. Okay. Hmm. Um, well, I'm still going for Surfbot because it's a robot. That's 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 where I'm going on this. I'll go for the Lemming yeah. in that the Lemming like chews the Surfbot's wires and causes them to shut down. Okay. Seems like you're the deciding vote here. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with Lemmings. Uh, the, wow. Yeah. yeah. The Lemmings it is. A surprising win for the Lemmings. Okay. Yeah. Uh, our next match is De Blob versus an Inkling from the Splatoon games. Inklings. Well, De Blob doesn't have a gun, so probably it's Inklings. But does De Blob absorb all the ink that the Inklings shoot and get bigger is my question. What are the mechanics of De Blob? The mechanics of De Blob... I only vaguely remember that was a popular Wii game. I know yeah. this much. And uh, it was similar. It had this sort of, yeah. It did get bigger, right? It got, it got bigger. Yeah, I have a very I have a very negative feeling about Splatoon generally. And so <laughs> I, I feel like I'm biased by my distaste for, for, for Splatoon. But, but that's where I'm at, 100% against, against Splatoon. You're against uh, Splatoon. I'm against Splatoon in any, in any context. So I'm going to have to go with the club. I feel like it would take an entire Splatoon of Inklings to take down a Deblob. I would agree. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going for the for Deblob again because it absorbs stuff and gets bigger. I think it absorbs, but it, it paints ink and it absorbs lack of. I forget what it does. Anyway, I, th- I think it's Deblob. I think Deblob right, wins because it can get bigger. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our next match is Francis York Morgan from the Deadly Premonition series nice. versus Raz from Psychonauts. Ooh, good one. Wow. Um, Francis York Morgan cannot go inside of anybody's brain set. That's what happens to Psychonauts, right? I never played it. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. So on the one hand, isn't the guy from Deadly Pre- Premonition, isn't he like a cop? He is a cop. Or like some kind of detective? He's like an FBI agent. Yeah. Yeah. So on yeah. the one hand, I will, you know, defer to the guy with the gun. But on the other hand, I do feel like Raz would like get into his mind and like exploit his psyche, which if you, you know, Deadly Premonition... Like some yeah. shit happens, so like there's probably a lot of exploitable things that he could use to potentially disable his opponent. So I think one. the ultimate question here is can Raz handle whatever's going on inside <laughs> Francis's head? Also a very good question. Francis York Morgan has a gun, but he also has E-I-E-I-O. Who lives Yeah, that's right. <laughs> who lives inside of his head, who presumably also has a gun. And so when Raz goes inside of Francis York Morgan's head <laughs> and meets gonna Zach, by the he's going to get shot by <laughs> by his subconscious. So You're right. That's exactly how it goes down. I think Francis York Morgan wins. Oh, um, yeah, I'm taking this. Uh, that's canon. Uh, our last preliminary match is Gex versus Bubsy. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> You know what? I feel like that you could kickstart that right now. <laughs> yeah, that would work. Yeah, that that would get funded in two days, and everyone would hate the game when it came out. Oh, absolutely. But everyone would also love it. Like this would be the thing that you would love to hate. It would. We wouldn't be able to use Twitter for a month. No, yeah. I think it would be bad in like a really boring, disappointing way. It oh. might. It probably use new memes and everything. Yeah. Uh, oh. I, I think Gex can crawl on all surfaces and Bubsy dies in one hit. So it's got to be Gex. What's Gex's one-liner when he kills Bubsy? Yeah, uh, it's obviously what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> Looks like I'm curiosity gonna... killed the cat. I guess this is what could possibly go wrong. Yeah, there it is. There we go. Were you going to say, uh, Ian, about this? You had a count. No, yeah. Gex, Gex, no, no I'm, I, I'm, I'm on Team <laughs> Gex here because... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Gex was sort of the, the that early '90s uh, underdog, you know, back when Mario and Sonic were predominant. Yeah, I mean, this is hard to remember so long ago. And also, it was a 3DO game, right? Gex was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you kind of, kind of have to, kind of have to give the 3DO a little bit of you got a root underdog for the love. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 sure. That's what we're all about here. Semifinals: uh, one Lemming versus De Blob. <laughs> it's probably De Blob again. It's probably De Blob. Probably I mean, De Blob. It's disappointing, yeah. but it's, it's De Blob. Uh, Francis yeah. York Morgan versus Gex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gex. Why? I don't want to piss off the Gex hive. <laughs> <laughs> the Gex hive? <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing of this. Are you not familiar with the Gex hive? <laughs> Please inform me. I think anytime Kotaku writes anything about any kind of platformer from the 90s, we get somebody who's like, this isn't Gex. Yeah. Like, that is just like, like clockwork. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's persuasive. I appreciate the defensive choice in this regard. Francis York Morgan, again, does have a gun, but... It's, it's really a, fic- it's a fictional, it's a completely scripted gun. It's true. It's also lizards get her around real fast, probably hard to shoot can climb on all surfaces once again. So I guess I could I could go throw the Gex hive a bone. I think I'm going to vote for Gex as well, only because when he beats Francis York Morgan, 
it will be his opportunity to make some kind of ham-fisted Twin Peaks reference. All right. And our finale is De Blob versus Gex. I mean, it's Gex. So I don't know, why are we even talking about right? <laughs> Definitely Gex. You think Gex could take De Blob? I don't know who can take De Blob. I definitely do. I, don't, I can't believe De Blob got this far in, in this context. <laughs> the technical match is up. He, he had a light bracket. That's right. It yeah. was a light bracket situation. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. one of the difficult things with De Blob is none of us can really remember that much of I mean, he's no De Blob, too. There was a whole series of those blobby games. That was, that was during was. the era of, of, of roll-up games, you know, goopy games, Katamari era, too. Uh, all of that was happening. Kind of like how all those animatronic bands popped up at once in uh, Chuck E. Cheese ripoff. Yeah. I mean, all I know when y'all say The Blob is I just think of the Marvel character, the X-Men. Oh, no one moves the blob. That guy. He yeah. was actually really yeah. wholesome, I think. I'm trying to remember if whenever he appeared, did they just like make gross fat jokes about him or did they like actually make him a decent character? And I feel like it was the latter. I'm DC. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess Gex is our winner. Congratulations, Gex Hive. You're finally taking home a win. It's don't coming home. Don't expect another one. I looked up Gex Hive and then clicked image search and the the third image has Gex and Bubsy in a romantic relationship. <laughs> uh, I mean, please paste that in the chat. Uh, I, that's okay. the rule of the internet in addition to rule yeah. 32. Like, if yeah. it exists, it's been shipped with Bubsy. I'm also seeing some con- Conquer v. Gex fan yes. art. Uh, sure. It's also available. Conquer's just unacceptable. Unacceptable. That's true. Yeah. Who do you think would be a better romantic partner to Gex? Conquer or Bubsy? Oh, Bubsy, for sure. Conquer yeah. is a foul mouth, yeah. self-centered jerk. He's uh, probably guy. also a slut. Yeah. Like just a big yeah. old slut. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that I have that thought now. Yeah, he, he, he screwed his way through half the cast of Diddy Kong Racing. Oh, no, don't do that to me. <laughs> I love Diddy Kong Racing. I don't want to imagine all, all this right. stuff. All right, here's our next question. Has a video game ever changed your opinion about something outside of video games? Well, it's an interesting question for me because like an, an entire corner of my of my work, my writing and my game design work is dependent on me saying yes, that that's possible and that that has happened. But then, yes, at the same time, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, sure, it could happen. Anything could happen. But like, I, I, I don't know if I can imagine a time that a game has like really affected me in that way, in a concrete, definitive. Right, yeah. right. Part of it is is because you know we think of games as having this this feature being like other media that do that all the time, you know, films or, or books or what have you, wherever they, the, which tend to be more narrative and tend to have more aboutness to them. And you know, I was I was a time in my in my career when I very much thought that that was that was the promise of games, but with systems. And then um, more recently, because, partly because that didn't happen, like we didn't, you know, we games are not an influential uh, political or social medium. They're just not. So you have to face that that reality, and instead they're all about like repetition and the, this sort of absurdity and uh, and the respect of of an engagement with like a broken machine that that doesn't operate properly and that nevertheless you spend a whole hell of a lot of of time with. So in some ways the question is just you know it's really w- well phrased, but it's also the wrong question because maybe that's not the thing that's not the way that games produce that kind of the kind of changed attitude. It's rather about like deep attention with you know extremely repetitive ultimately stupid subtasks and that's the thing that kind of translates outside the game although as a counterpoint to that my partner played pokemon as a child and she was playing this game and it was full of things like you can do what you set out to do and if you try hard it'll work out and like that's what all that narrative is about and uh, that was the first time she had heard that stated Before. Yeah, just a, it's, a, it's a good example, getting that kind of reinforcement. Pokemon was kind of like a seminal thing for her because she wasn't getting that kind of feedback anywhere in real life. But to hear that it was possible to get that kind of feedback was, was quite uh, arresting, I guess. Uh, so you're saying video games can change your life if you've never read a book or seen a movie? Uh, no, it's it's not so much that it's uh, it can change your life if you have a negative home life. The happenstance of the media that you that you find, right? Like you know, you just happen to have been engaged with. My thing with this is I'm actually um, still wrestling with it. I love Dragon Age two. Sure. I hate Anders. I hate him with a passion. And the thing with him is that the fandom absolutely loves him. Yeah, get the hell off my show, Ash. Uh, hey, uh, we we can throw down <laughs> about this, but um. 
The fandom has a like an outsized love for him that I never understood because uh, spoilers for Dragon Age two people who haven't finished the game. He blows up a church and it's like this. He pivotal... was possessed by the spirit of vengeance. It's not his fault. Is it though? And then, but you've got people, and this is my problem with fandom is that you've got people that are like, oh, he was just like this oppressed minority, and you know he obviously had to do this or whatever, and like fandom will give a lot of leeway for that kind of you know expression in a video game, but will get mad at people who want to block a freeway in real life. You know, I hate that whole like you know oppression pastiche that gets put it on in video games, and people have this like strong you know resonance with it, but then turn around in real life, you're like. I don't, you know, they completely failed to bring those lessons forward. That's but fair. I, yeah, I hated him. I just hated him. I never liked him. And this is not to say I'm like some like Templar, you know, person or whatever, even though I did kind of have sex. Uh, I really like Cullen. Anyway, um, <laughs> but as I've gotten older and everything that has happened has happened and I'm a black person in like yeah. America right now where it's like, damn, I really wish we would just burn some shit down right now because this is getting out of hand. I'm kind of starting to reevaluate my position on him because I, I, I was one of those people who are like, you know, you can, you can, you don't have to resort to violence, you know, to make your point heard. Like, I understand, you know, you know, violence in a righteous situation is fine. I didn't necessarily think that what Anders did was righteous violence. I'm starting I, what I, one thing that I've wanted to do for a long time and I just hasn't had time to do it is just go back to Dragon Age 2, play it again with my newer, more like, you know what, let's fuck some shit up kind of shit and see if I still feel the same way I did about him. And I'm kind of thinking that I might have, I might have my mind changed. Like I'm tired. I, 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 you know, as a person in this space, I'm just fucking tired. Burn it down. <laughs> so I can kind of like jibe with that now in a place yeah. where once I couldn't. It's an interesting point because I feel like, it, you know, I'm always doing like the Paragon path in yeah. these things and I'm, I'm trying to be nice to everybody. But I, I've just, you know, with, with the way that you're speaking about it, I'm kind of realizing that perhaps that is the fantasy that I'm living, which is that it is possible to solve all problems by being nice, by being without nice. violence yeah. and by being nice and by trying to care for everyone, which is depressing to, to think about. OK, before we go on to the next question, I got to ask, how do you get with Cullen when the Iron Bull is right there? I, I, I didn't say he was the only one I wrote okay. now. <laughs> All right. All right. That's acceptable. Okay. Here's our next question. What was the most ambitious video game to actually deliver on its promises? Ooh. Oh, heck. I immediately start racking my brains. Did any Molly New games get close? And I think black and white is probably, you know, like be a god, do all this weird stuff. Black and white got pretty close. Yeah, it's the one that technically does the most of what it says on the tin. Yeah, I think that's a that's a solid candidate for that. But I mean, also like Minecraft, maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. Did Minecraft was Minecraft ever like a really ambitious title, or did it just become that over time? It was sort of like create every. Uh, maybe it wasn't at the start. It, well, not not in the early days, and which is interesting to circle this back on the question too, because like yeah. this idea of making a promise wasn't always the case you know partly because it was just random that there was a game like minecraft that emerged but in black and white's uh, era or, or before that in in those similar simulation games civilization or SimCity, or you know things that are sort of of a piece with it they weren't making promises i mean you know there wasn't this kind of culture of expectations associated with these and you pick them up and they were delightful and surprising because they worked at all uh, and, they, and they did something resembling uh, what they offered. So you, I think in every era, you'd find a different version of this answer. It's kind of hard to think about in, in the present. Well, we have to think about who made, who made promises. Molly New, uh, David Cage, Kojima. These are the kinds of people that make promises, I feel. Well, that, that's one. Yeah, that's an interesting no way to, to interpret. The, the, yeah, and you know, none of these feel like great uh, examples of delivering on, um, on promises. So maybe the, the lesson is not to make promises, but Certainly. to make the work. Kojima learned from that. Like, he did. He didn't make any promises about Death Stranding. He just yeah. showed you a bunch of weird crap nobody could interpret. And then people were still disappointed. Yeah, people were disappointed, but not, not as much as they, they would have been in a different era of Kojima's career. Yeah. Which is suggestive of, of, of the fact that, you know, just not making these these sort of meta discursive claims about what the thing is going to do, which is, is exactly what, what Molly knew ended up doing in that later part of yeah. uh, of his career and just falling falling flat. Sonic Mania. Mm. That's true. That's true. Sonic Mania was like 
oh, we're getting classic Sonic back, which seemed like an impossible thing, but it happened. And it was really good. And it was a promise that had been made so many times before. Yeah. Like every time they were like, Sonic's back. But this time, Sonic was back. <laughs> I was thinking like No Man's Sky, but like a year after it came out. I guess that counts. Yeah. Then Destiny 2 also counts. Sure. Destiny, as it's known. <laughs> uh, sorry. Good one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Uh, it's hard because I, I do think that people have learned not to promise. They've learned to avoid that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember the Far Cry games, they often promise something, but they, they do mm. tend to deliver on it. But the thing they're promising is, like, they've done something like it before and there's more of it now. And so you right. can be like, huh, they, they could probably do that. So without promising, how do you get people excited for a new game? You have to have that cachet. One of the the answers that I'm going to hate myself for because I hate this game with a burning passion is Bioshock Infinite. Uh, You're among friends. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I think that was one of those like, here we go. Uh, We're going to make you feel the same way about Columbia that we did about Rapture. And, you know, your personal tastes about how they executed that story aside, they did it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a Pixar movies where they're like, you know, we're we're probably gonna make you cry at some point during this. Get ready. All those movies follow the same arc. Yeah, we know the yeah. formula. And yeah. actually, I guess this is a good example of the opposite thing happening because they promise the same thing every time, and it has stopped working on me. It started to get too rote and too twee for me. Like, uh, with um, what's the one with the emotions in it? Uh, oh, Inside yeah. Out. Inside Out was the first one where I was like, uh oh. This doesn't work on me anymore. Yeah, I think I have the same thing to that. I think they still work. I just think Inside Out is not a best example of that. Like, I th- didn't Coco come out after that? Yeah, Coco came Dude, out. Coco's Coco is great. Yeah, Coco's yeah. great. Coco's better. All right, fair enough. But it's now hit and miss where it was like, mm-hmm. okay, it was I'm going to watch hit. this movie. Has up. anyone seen Luca? How's Luca? Do they live on the second floor? It's okay. It's okay. All right. And I think that's part of the answer, too, is like, sometimes it's just fine. You're just looking for genre fiction, and it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Mm. So this is the point of the show where I ask about the blank of video games, mm-hmm. which started in the grand tradition of trying to figure out what the citizen cane of video games is. This week, I'm asking, who is the Slavoj Žižek of video games? Okay, first explain who that is. Um, He's a contemporary Slovenian philosopher. He's kind of a Marxist guy, kind of a doofus, but a lot of people like him. A modern pop philosophy guy from pop like... Philosophy. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, you're very reasonably famous, and if you run in these in these circles, this uh, Marxist, Hegelian, Lacanian uh, uh, philosopher and, and and critic. Right now mm-hmm. that I look at how his name is spelled and see his bearded face, I realize that he has showed up on my feed a lot. You've definitely seen Slavoj oh, yeah. memes. Yeah, the hot yeah. T- double hot dog one is palm, and there's a blinking meme of of Zizek. It's, it's always the sort of thing where it's like, oh, this is probably something I should know about. Oh, well. One answer to this question, and maybe the one I will choose, is is it Slavoj Žižek? Žižek is uh, famously, but, but maybe not quite as famously, some of obsessed with, with video games, actually. But to my knowledge, has never really written uh, or, or discussed them. And, uh, I was always kind of living in fear that Žižek is finally going to become a, a, a video game writer. He's very, very famous for his writing on film uh, yeah. earlier in his, in, his, right. in his career. And I think that is one, I think that is one viable answer, if not a very satisfying a one, but it also points to other possibilities. Like this is someone who's outside, kind of a troll who's who's poking poking at things. There's there's a there's a certain repetition to his work. You kind of know what to expect, and and then you get it, and it's the 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 sort of eject take. Those are some of the like the DNA that I would look for in a in a more interesting candidate. The Zizek himself is the Zizek of games. I don't know if we have somebody like that. It, it feels like it should be. A game critic or thinker. Kojima. Oh, I guess if you went on the developer side, then Kojima could be a good candidate. Yeah. He's always predicting things. Man. But every time I say a weirdo, then the answer is Kojima. Yeah, I think it's endemic to Zizek's persona that he doesn't make this this stuff. That he's outside of it, either as a critic or just as a kind of a, a black sheep. It could have been Roger Ebert for a while because he was really poking the bear re-video games a lot back in his time. A lot as in once? No, I mean, he, he did more. I mean, he, he wrote that one op-ed, but he also talked about and reviewed video games. I mean, there's there's him playing the friggin' the activator, the Genesis punch and kick thingy. He's interacted with video games for a long time um, and has talked about them. But it, I don't think that he 
he doesn't take the subject seriously at all, so... Yeah. Based on Alex's description of this person alone, because I did not know who this is, I did look him up and I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of know this person. It's just based on that description alone, my answer is not video games, but the only thing that I could think of that comes close to that is um, the Stakeum's Twitter account. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, so it's a good candidate, actually. It's very, yeah, very that is a good candidate. Actor. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he was running that. Yeah, well, you know, I've, t- I've talked to those people for a story that I that I did a number of years ago, and it's it's a much more earnest operator than than Zizek would be, but it does have that kind of inside and outside capitalism at once kind of business. Yeah. it does, it does mm-hmm. feel very Zizekian. Yeah. Well, I guess that's got to be the answer. That's a good answer, even <laughs> though great. it has nothing to do with video games. Yes. Well, they, they, the whole stake in perso- like that brand persona was they were trying right. to reach gamers. That was one of their goals. So they're, that's ah, the yeah. yeah. All right. That's fair. There we go. Okay. We got there. Ash gets the point, uh, which <laughs> brings us now to our lightning round, which comes from Patreon subscriber Driftglass. If you would like to submit a question to the show or even a lightning round concept, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash insert credit subscribe at any level where you could get access to regular episodes one day early one day early one day early and uh, even bonus content that we put up periodically a very interesting little half hour bonus episode with liz ryerson just went up this week and i would really recommend checking that out and you can only get that on the patreon feed anyway drift glass admits imagine that you are in charge of casting for the following hypothetical video game film roles because this is imaginary Actors can be contemporary or deceased. All right. Uh, first, for Maniac Mansion, we are casting Bernard Bernoulli. Is that the main character of it? It's one of them. Okay. I don't know Maniac Mansion well enough. We need, we need Frank for this. Yeah, sorry, Frank. He's the nerd. The glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, Rick um, Moranis. Right? It's not no. a bad, I, he doesn't really work anymore. No, uh, how about Steve Buscemi? It said that it could be persons from any era, right, Jeffy? Oh, I, it said I contemporary see. or deceased. All right. Oh. He's neither contemporary nor deceased, but I'll allow it. Let's expand this to say we can yeah. say uh, that it can be like whatever era of person. So yeah. like like Ghostbusters era Rick Moranis. Yeah, that would be fine. There was a Maniac Mansion TV show, and uh, like I think it only aired in Canada. So... If there was a Bernard Bernoulli, maybe they were in that, or maybe it was a totally different cast. I've never seen an episode. I just know it exists. You know, I just I just looked at a picture of him, and yeah. uh, it, lo- it looks like Tom Hanks' kid. What's that guy's name? <laughs> Hank Hanks, whatever they call him. Uh, Hank uh, Hanks. Chet? Not, not Chet. Oh, yeah, the other one, the nice one, the yeah. unproblematic one. Yeah. All right. The Twisted Metal movie, who do you cast as Sweet Tooth? Ooh. Good one. Um, Who's the lead singer of Kiss? That guy. <laughs> Gene Simmons. If he um, could act, I'd do that. I don't think he can act. Yeah, no, this just feels like a Nick Cage role. Oh, okay. yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was gonna say Jared Leto. No. Yeah, also, also would work. <laughs> All right. I think Jared Leto's off the list at this point. Yeah. So. Uh, Bonk from bad. Bonk's Adventure. Oh, God damn it. Uh, oh, it's Bonk. Yeah, yeah. Vin Diesel for sure. Mm-hmm. Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel fuck. I want to see that Photoshop. Uh, I'm ready. Listeners, get on it. Uh, John Madden from the Madden series. <laughs> Good. Aww. Um, Roger Ebert. No. Okay. <laughs> there is a series. Oh God. I got it. I know. I, I know who we're casting. Uh, John Candy. As John. Yeah, that's what I was gonna oh, say. Good. That's exactly yeah. what I was gonna say because I could I couldn't remember his name. The King of All Cosmos from Katamari Damashi. Oh, very good. Idris Elba. I think he can be funny. Huh. I'm in, I'm into it. That'll be, be a good casting choice. That's good. I would have gone John Waters. No. No? I think you want someone playing against type for this. Yeah. Personally. That's fair. Uh, Yorda from Eco. Yorda from Eco. Is that the uh, girl or the boy? It's a girl. And so it's got to be someone. It's someone who can't really think and is kind of floating around. So any Instagram influencer that's trying to break, in, break into movies right now. Well, I was going to say, since this is a Japanese game, we should get an Asian actress. So Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. That's, hey! That's, that's, that's the right joke. That's the right joke. Uh, Tom Nook from Animal Crossing. Mm. Um, uh, that, that dog that plays the dog in the thing. Deceased now, but very good dog. 
I want somebody who's very wholesome, but at the same time, you'd live in fear that they would come and break your ankles. And I'm trying to figure out who would do that. Hmm. Like, who ha- exudes that persona? The Rock? Wayne the Rock Johnson? The rock. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Yes. yes. The would Rock is Tom I Nook. Would, I would also be fine with, like, Al Pacino as Tom Nook. <laughs> yeah, oh, I funny. can see that, yeah. But is he wholesome? Can he be no, wholesome? No, 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 no. I think no. that's, that's no. That, that would be the, the decision the made by that casting joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what about Joe Pesci? Yeah, that's a good candidate. Uh, Joe Pesci's a little too annoying. And wait, no, but Tom Tom looks kind of annoying. Okay, I think yeah. Joe Pesci's good. Waluigi for the Mario Tennis movie. Chris Farley. I don't know. This is this has got to be a guy who like exudes like drips sexual energy, but is also very funny. Chris Evans. Who who's Captain America? Is that Chris yeah, Evans? I know he's 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 too. Uh, too yeah, he's buff, no, though, but he also has to be like off the beat. Uh, no, I got it. Um, uh, Adam Driver. Adam yeah, Driver that, is a that's, good that's pull. That's probably right. Yeah. I was going to say Kit Harrington, but uh, no, he's not. He, he does not exude. He cannot right. be funny and does not exude sexual energy. Adam Driver does. Though. Uh, have you seen Seven Days in Hell? I haven't. I did see Pompeii though. Uh, Seven Days in Hell is the uh, HBO short that uh, Kit Harrington did with Andy Samberg, where they play a seven-day tennis match. It's it's very good. Uh, Tatum Channing is who I was thinking of. Yeah. Well. Uh, Channing Tatum. Uh, Channing Tatum, whatever. Yeah. Unless he just transferred to a uh, Japanese high school. Yeah, I so mean, he... this is a Japanese video, Japanese yeah. video game, so. Fair enough. That's what I was going for. Battle Golfer Yui. Oh, God. <laughs> Battle Golfer Yui. Okay. Um, who is the, the the younger Japanese lady in Kill Bill who was in a bunch of other stuff? Gogo Yubari. That's the yeah. name of the, the character, but not the actress, but I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Uh, Chiaki Koriyama. Yeah, there we go. Oh, um... Maybe her or the girl from um, Pacific Rim. Ooh. I don't remember who that was. Yeah, I don't remember her name. She was the only girl in Pacific Rim. <laughs> yeah, I guess they had, they had one in there. Uh, her name is uh, Rinko Kikuchi. Are you sure that's her name or is it the character's name? I think that's I'm the sure, character. Sure. No, it's not. That's her name. Uh, it's her name. Okay. Makamori right. was that's the name fair. of the character. I just looked uh, it up on IMDb, so I am sure. Okay. And finally, who plays the J Tetramino in the Tetris movie? Uh, uh Dwayne Rock Johnson. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I like Jayla. <laughs> she is Jenny from the block, so Yeah, very she's good. Jenny That's from the block. That's very, yeah. very good. Uh Brandon, I'm gonna have to give you the win for that. Congratulations. You have won nice. this episode. This Ooh. is the point of the show where we recommend things that our listeners can engage in between this episode and the next episode to entertain themselves and enrich themselves and also plug whatever things we happen to be worrying working on if we are so inclined to do that. So just Go ahead and do that. Have fun. I have two things. One is there's a forum member who has a video game music DJ set series. Their channel is Dedeco, D-E-D-E-C-O, and it is legitimately enjoyable to listen to, which is very surprising to me. It's all like really good mixes of kind of Y2K-ish stuff with things from other eras, but it all kind of loops around into this sort of late 90s club music feel but it can be slow it can be up tempo it's it's really legitimately enjoyable which is was a big surprise to me because usually when people show me stuff like that i'm like well i hate this but i'm gonna be nice about it but i like this one uh the other thing i'm gonna recommend is not that you should give this person money but if you can find a way to acquire the uh cool as ice blu-ray released by kino lorber that movie is bizarre and Famously, uh, one of the first movies for, uh, where Janusz Kaminski is the cinematographer who went, later went on to win a bunch of Oscars and stuff. And uh, just it, the, it's a gorgeous movie to look at. It is a bizarre like uh, I, the, the, the commentary is two two Australians talking about the ways in which this movie is a an appropriation of African-American music and culture. And uh, mm. it's it's just a it's bizarre. That like that in itself is bizarre to listen to, but uh, it's terrible. But you absolutely absolutely should watch the movie. There's a sequence where Vanilla Ice, uh, and this is supposed to be like sexy and cute. The high schooler who he is interested in having sex with mm. is asleep in her bed, and she is awakened by Vanilla Ice, who has broken into her house and is putting an ice cube in her mouth while she's sleeping. Uh, Weird. It's freaking terrifying. So this is set in the same universe as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze, which also features Vanilla Isis himself. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Right. Okay, those are my recommendations. Enjoy. 
Anybody um, who's listening who is in a low mental health place to obviously seek out help from professionals. But if you want to have a therapy session without paying for an actual therapy session, go play Chicory. Uh, That game will tell you some shit about yourself and you are not expecting it. You think this is this happy, fun, color in the world kind of thing. And then you get kneecapped uh, like halfway through with like, oh, this is close to home. So um, any creative types, especially if you write about video games, if you make them, if you do art, if you write in general, it's a very, um, it's a game for artists, creators. It'll definitely make you think about the ways that you are potentially kind to others, but not necessarily uh, kind to yourself and make you think about that a little harder. And it's also like a lot of fun. Like, uh, remember when adult coloring books were all the rage, like a couple years back? It's that but in a video game with super cool music and a story that will beat the hell out of you in a good way. So uh, play that. You can always check in on the split screen podcast with me and a bunch of my coworkers. I was going to call them friends, but then I realized that was a lie. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Too bad for them. But we're your real friends. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one day we'll have one of you guys on, so that'll be fun. And, you know, if you ever are interested in anything that I have to say, you can find my stuff at Kotaku, so do that. I've got two things. One is a summer cocktail that I'd like to recommend Ooh, called the Americano, which is basically a Negroni with club soda instead of gin. So mm. you get you get like, it's a little bit lighter, you know, put in a mm-hmm. twist and it's almost like having an Italian soda, but it's a drink. That's my first recommendation. And then I have a game. We talked about this a little earlier. We talked about, about Raz and Psychonauts. And, you know, new Psychonauts is coming. If you haven't gone back and played the original, it's really worth doing, yeah, especially given the, the time frame. It was like, you know, mid-aughts when, when that game came out. and Worth reflecting on what, what they accomplished uh, back then in, in, in that genre and, and out of it. So I think that's a, a worthwhile replay or, or first-time play. They don't have teeth in that one, do they? Uh, the te- they're, they're something resembling teeth. Uh, you know the the texture maps are, are they're you know they're very low res so you have to get used to it but there, there are things that uh, that you might mistake as teeth which is unfortunate <laughs> yeah. yeah tooth plates all right I've got some recommendations that I would like to uh, toss your way uh, I'd like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcast that you engage with us in that way to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. You can also go to patreon.com slash insert credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own topics, get our regular episodes one day early. One day early. One day early. And even access monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. You can join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at insert credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Brandon is at Necrosofty. Ash is at Ad Astra. And Ian is at iBoghost. The show is produced by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Chaffee. I'm Brandon Chaffee. I'm Ash Parrish. And Ian Bogus here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, your game, by the way, incidentally, has now been saved. What a joy, what a treat.